The Pellicle Podcast is sponsored by the wonderful folks at Rode Microphones. We've used Rode mics to make this podcast since our very first episode. I'm a big fan of the NT1, their vintage voice studio condenser, which we use for our voiceovers and narration. Recently, I've also turned to their reporter handheld mic, which is perfect for capturing interviews in the field. This introduction is being recorded using their best-selling NT-USB Mini, plus a little EQ and compression. It's a brilliant little USB mic that's perfect for improving your audio, especially your video calls. You just stick it on your desk, plug in your headphones, and sound more like you're in a studio. The NT-USB Mini is available now, and it's just £99 RRP. Go check it out at Rode.com. Thanks again to Rode, and now, it's on with the show. Glory be. Welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm Matthew Curtis. Thank you for tuning in. Although it's still pretty shitty out there with the pandemic and the country being divided into all of these different tiers, London going from tier two to tier three. Are we in the North going to go from tier three to tier two? What's quite disheartening in all this is to see people go online from different parts of the country and start tearing shreds off each other for not empathising with different parts of the country and it's and it's really difficult to do this because having just moved from London after living there for 15 years to the north, quote unquote, it is quite different. And people, people up here are, have been through a lot more than we have in London. It has been more relaxed and there have been tighter restrictions here, not just in the north, but in places like Leicester as well. And I think... People definitely need to consider that everyone's experience of the pandemic is different while also admitting to each other that we are all in this, the pandemic. You know, it's it's global. So it's sad to see people tear strips off each other. But hopefully, hopefully the vaccine is out there now and we will in the new year start easing towards some semblance of normality. And I'm sorry to start this episode on a downer the last episode was started on a bit of a downer as well but it, it's a fucking pandemic you know this is this is what we're going through and it's important that we uh, we air our grievances especially at this time of the year and speaking of grievances i'm uh, not in a great place at the moment i was up for four awards at last week's british guild of beer writers awards and i, I came away empty-handed again uh, it's happened a few years now and it and it put me in a pretty dark place and i've been contemplating my work and where I fit into this 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 beer world and don't worry I'm not going anywhere I'm very dedicated to to what I do for a living and I'm very happy that I get to do for a living but uh, it's tough to take I've been working through that however I'm so happy for the winners I'm over the moon for the winners who are all so deserving of the awards they received especially two peers of mine who are not just peers but they're also dear friends who I love very much so a huge shout out to Claire Bullen who you may know as the editor-in-chief at Good Beer Hunting, uh, who picked up some awards. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know about Good Beer Hunting, but if you don't, uh, they make one of the best beer websites and podcasts uh, out there, so go check it out. And secondly, massive congratulations to the invincible Lily Waite, who has just had an amazing year and, and now has been named 
Beer Writer of the Year 2020, the youngest person ever to, to win that award. Not that age has anything to do with it, but it's just an amazing achievement to, to turn out such amazing quality writing, including some for us at Pellicle. Uh, her piece on Mills this year is, is one of the pieces you must, you must jump on the site and check out when you've got a few minutes. But to do that while also pushing ahead with the Queer Brewing Project, probably one of the most progressive bits of work being done in UK beer at the moment, which is such an exciting prospect for, for 2021 as that becomes an actual brewery and brand, essentially. And to start a pottery business as well, she's a force of nature. And we're going to get her on the podcast. We're going to get her on for an interview and talk through that experience and what's going to be in 2021 for Lily. So look forward to that in a little while. Anyway, on the subject of awards, this is essentially the Pellicle Podcast Christmas special. And I'm going to dole out my awards to my favourite beers, wines, ciders and food of the year over the next hour or so. And I know some of you will probably be tuning in because I'm a beer guy. You probably want to know what my favourite beers of the year are. To do that, in order to build a little bit of suspense in, I'm going to do that right at the very end. So you can fast forward to the end where I will read out my beers of the year. There's quite a few, quite a few to get through. But please, if you can, stick around. So I'm going to talk about some wine. I'm going to talk about a little bit of food I had this year that I really enjoyed. Then we're going to take a little break. And then... Uh, we're going to talk about cider, and cider's really cider's going to be uh, a lot more of a feature on this podcast in the new year. You'll probably be pleased to know, and then we'll get into the beer. So after all of that negativity, we've got that out of the way, we've sat with it, and now we're going to celebrate some amazing food and drink. And because this is a Christmas special, we're going to have a little drink along. So I know you, you might be commuting, or you might be out on a run right now. Or you might be sat at home. And if you are at home, please feel free to sit down, get some nice headphones out and pour yourself a beer. Let's have a drink along podcast. I am going to have a beer with you. I don't normally drink when I'm working. That's a confession of mine. Beer for me is very much an important signifier of the end of a day. And as much as beer is work, and sometimes I have to drink beers to review them or or write about them, mostly beer is still that boundary between the end of the workday and the start of rest. And that first beer, that first sip is a wonderful way of easing into a period of relaxation. So I try and keep that barrier. It's very important for me to keep that barrier because the element of me enjoying beer and then being able to talk about it is is crucial. But we're going to change that up. We're going to open a beer and have a bit of a Christmas drink along together. So because I was nominated at the British Gilded Beer Writers Awards, I was sent some beers by the sponsors and some of the sponsors are very big brewers including Anheuser-Busch InBev or AB InBev for short the largest brewer in the world if you listen last week you'll know that they make 30% of all the beer in the world and thank you if you did tune in last week by the way it had a really great response to that people love this format and so it will be a regular feature of the podcast going forward and it's, it's been the most popular episode we've done so far So thank you so much for all the great feedback on that and look forward to lots more episodes like this where it's just me and a microphone trying to get to the bottom of a subject that I find interesting and hopefully you do too. But now let's open this beer. So I got sent some beer by AB InBev and they sponsored the 
the low and no alcohol category, which is a new category this year. I wasn't in it because I don't write about low and no alcohol beer. It's not particularly interesting to me. And in the box, there was some Stella Artois Zero and some Budweiser Zero. And I admit, I did try them. I thought, I better have a sip just so I know what they taste like. I don't think they're going to taste very good, but it'd be good to log that away. So if I do decide to say that they aren't very good, I can say so with authority. And I can say so with authority that I didn't like them very much. However, if you drink Stella or Bud and you want a no alcohol version, they pretty much taste like that. So, and a lot of people do like Stella and Bud. That is the reality. They are two of the best selling beers in the world. So I'm sure they'll be hugely popular, especially as people are watching what they drink. But they are, they are not for me. But in that box, they also included two bottles of Leffer. Now, Leffer is this Belgian Abbey-style strong beer. It's 6.6%. I can't remember it being that strong, but I have a deep nostalgia for Leffer because years ago, when I was seeing my ex, so I'm talking like maybe 20, almost 20 years ago, her dad drank Leffer. And I loved drinking Leffer because it made me feel kind of sophisticated. It was like the off-kilter alternative choice at the bar. I had no idea that it was being made by the largest brewer in the world. But I used to drink this thinking I was trying something different. So it was probably a little stepping stone into a beer world for me. I'm not sure if it works in that context now. Now with there's so many beers out there that are easy to get hold of. But back then, it certainly felt like I was taking a step into a wider world. And I've not had one in years. So yeah, I'm going to drink a beer I was sent by the largest brewer in the world live on this podcast. And then later on, I'm going to drink a beer I bought. And I'm going to talk about a different beer when we go over the beer and cider section later on. Anyway, I'm going to open this. I'm still getting used to this style of podcast. I keep forgetting to breathe. Anyway, I've got a lovely golden beer. I'm going to have a little smell. It smells like a beer. It tastes like nostalgia. It's not awful. It's quite sweet. It's too sweet for me. So one of my favourite beers of all time is Duval, the Belgian Abbey beer, which I don't drink that often, but whenever I do drink one, I'm, I say to myself, oh, why don't I drink this more often? And this is much sweeter than that. But I've not had a beer today, so I've got a pretty fresh palate. And for, for a nice Christmas drink-along... It's fine. I wouldn't buy it or recommend it to my friends, but it does bring back a little bit of nostalgia. So cheers. Yeah, it's really sweet. Very sugary. I hope whatever you've got is much nicer. So we're going to start the, the best of this year by talking about wine. And I'm not the wine guy at Pellicle. That's, that's Johnny Hamilton. He does that, but he's not on the podcast. So I am going to talk about three wines I had this year that I really enjoyed. And I promise that next year there'll probably be a better selection. As maybe, maybe I'll think about wine more critically in the new year. I'm not sure. So I've got a small selection of, of three wines I've picked that were my wines of the year. And they're not just my wines of the year because they were delicious. These were all delicious wines, but they all had a little bit of a, a moment to them. You know, it's been, it's been a challenging year. We can keep saying that. It doesn't get any less challenging. But these wines have stood out for me as not only things that I really enjoy drinking, but they bring back some really fond memories of of a year that doesn't have a lot of those so my first pick of my my three wines of the year is is saint john cremant it's the the house cremant at uh, saint john restaurant believe it or not uh, as per the name so for those that don't know saint john in london uh, michelin starred restaurant started by trevor gulliver and fergus henderson 25 years ago is my favorite restaurant in the world 
it is amazing. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that momentarily. But I had a meal there, my last big meal in London with two of my dear friends, Claire Bullen, who mentioned earlier, and my friend Phil Elliott, who has a bottle shop in North London called Caps and Taps. We went for a delicious meal and Phil immediately said, right, we're having the house sparkling before I'd even picked up the wine list and it was being served. And it was a really weird day because it was the first day of the 10 p.m. curfew. The restaurant had called us to move our booking forward and our server was definitely stressed by this. They had to give us the bill at 9.30. They had to rush us out. Not the kind of experience you would expect from, from this restaurant. And some people, you know, didn't seem that interested in leaving. And when we finished, we definitely wanted to go for another drink. But we started the meal with this cremant, which is just this dry, slightly appley, sparkling wine before we got into some really intense food. And it was just this, this wonderful palate primer. And I think it lasted us about 20 minutes between three people. We were just so happy to be in a restaurant with friends and it was socially distant and it felt very, we felt very well looked after. And it was the start of of just a wonderful couple of hours of dining and conversation, stuff I, I miss so much. And so that wine, although it's not one of the fanciest wines in the world, it's just that how sparkling. It was just a lovely, poignant celebration of moving on from London to here in Manchester with two friends I miss very much. So St. John Cremant, that is my, my first of three wines. The second wine is from producers Melanie and Michael Volker in Germany, or Two Nature Kinder. And it's called Feldermaus Rot, a Fledermaus, not Feldermaus, Fledermaus. Uh, my German is terrible. So a, a Fledermaus is German for bat. So it's bat red. It's this natural wine that my partner Diane picked up from Iska, the little natural wine shop around the corner from where I live here in, in Levenshulme in Manchester. And she bought it because it had a bat on the label, but also some of the money goes to a bat conservation trust. She really loves bats. But what she'd also done is brought home a 30 quid bottle of exceptional red wine which i don't think she's ever done before but she just said you know let's get some nice wine some nice cheese and have an, a nice saturday we're not going out so spending 30 quid in a bottle of wine doesn't seem as extravagant as it did before we went to the pubs and spent loads more money where it was more expensive and it was absolutely divine it was slightly tart slightly cherry a little bit of effervescence maybe a little bit of leather in there in a in a good way like the smell of of a nice leather sofa but only only a little bit. It was a, it was really fruit forward. It was nice and acidic. I quite like light acidic red wines. If you like sour beers, it's not. It doesn't taste like a sour beer, but it would be in your comfort zone, especially because it, it's not sparkling, but it has that little prickle of carbonation. It was just an exceptionally made wine, and it came to me by surprise because normally I, I like I'm the one buying the wine in the home. I'm the wine enthusiast. So to have this appear and it be so delicious was just, just nice. It was just a nice little evening in with some wine and some cheese and a big loaf of sourdough bread. So Fledermaus Rot from Two Nature Kinder, that is my second wine of the year. My third wine of the year is a wine that brought deep joy and I had several bottles of, including one on my birthday, and it was Tillingham PN19. Now PN18... So the PN is their, their rosé pet nat that they release in the summer, and it's like the perfect summer wine. So it's just pink, sparkling, get it in the fridge, and it's like, it's just fruit. It's just juicy fruit, very simple, very clean. And the 2018 version had a little bit of volatile acidity, as in it had some off flavors, essentially. And I enjoyed it, 
but it was like, mm, it's good, but it could be better. And this year's iteration had none of those faults. It was just simple and crisp. And my partner and I got through several bottles of it this summer, just chilled out the fridge, and it's something that just disappears. Just switching off with a glass of that and the sun shining through the window or sat on the steps of our old flat in London. That was, that was a lovely time, and it, well, I wish we could have shared some of that wine with friends. But, yeah, it was just delicious. One thing I realised when making this list is I really haven't spent a lot of time drinking big oaky, tannic red wines. And I really want to get into some big wines. Like, I don't feel like I've dedicated enough of my time exploring that kind of thing. Everything I've drank this year has been really light and fruity, sparkling or pet nat wines, light reds, Beaujolais, that kind of thing. Uh, because that's what I'm into. And I think this year is all about being all about slipping into your comfort zone, right? Because the whole situation is uncomfortable. And this wine really sits at the centre of that. It's just like, I know that's going to be good. So I'm going to get a case of it and we're going to have it in the fridge. And when we have one of those evenings or afternoons where we're like, let's just have a glass of wine, it's there and it's going to be delicious. It's going to put a smile on your face. So thank you, Tillingham, for such a delicious wine. And keep an eye out for the, the 20. 21 release which will be called pn20 i'm sure because it sells really fast they're quite a small winery telling him so when that is out don't hesitate if you see a bottle you should be able to get a bottle pretty easily but it does sell out pretty fast once it's available so that's my wines short and sweet and now we're going to have some food with the wine so i'm going to start with takeaway because i had a lot of takeaway this year every friday night in lockdown it was like let's get a fancy takeaway and a lot of restaurants that were closed had to close started doing home delivery which was great to see but one local restaurant which i think is always delivered but i never really knew it did near where i lived in north london zian impression which is very highly rated if you go on eat to london they they bang on about how brilliant it is so zian impression regional chinese cooking very authentic their speciality is biang biang noodles which are these hand pulled long flat noodles and they're just served cold in this chili dressing and it's really simple. And it's incredible. The cumin beef burger, incredible. The cucumber salad, incredible. So ordering Zian Impression, I would always order twice as much food as we needed and think, I'm going to have more Zian Impression to eat tomorrow. It's going to be great. But no, we would just eat the lot. And it was just to sit at home and eat food of that quality. Again, put a huge smile on my face. And now I live a really long way away from Zian Impressions. So when I'm next in London and hopefully restaurants are open, I hope to give them a call and have some noodles. But absolutely outstanding. But I, I did get out to some restaurants this year, which is great, in between lockdowns and before lockdown. But normally I think a list like this, I would definitely pick some food from abroad because I spend so much of my time travelling. This is the first year in over 10 years I haven't left the UK. My first trip was booked in April. I had January to March to work on some projects and then get travelling in April. And it didn't happen. So everything is very UK and particularly very London-centric because I didn't really get out of London. Some of the food I did have. So early in the year, this might have been late last year, I don't remember. But the restaurant deserves a mention for being brilliant anyway. So, so Claire and I went out for a meal at Bao. Now Bao have a couple of restaurants in Soho and in, in Fitzrovia in London. 
they have a new one, what's over a year old now, in Borough Market. And they have a slightly different menu and, and special dishes at each one. And at Borough Market, the special dish is it's kind of these thinly fried strips of seasoned beef with savoury rice underneath and then a little egg yolk in the middle. And it was served and I'm like, oh, it's much smaller than it looks on everyone's Instagram photos. And it was so rich and intense. It was absolutely incredible. But the food there was absolutely brilliant. And they have a house lager from Braybrook Brewery, Market Harbour in Leicestershire, who make incredible lagers. So it was nice to sink a couple of those and eat some delicious food. So Bao in Borough, one of my top spots of the year. Another restaurant I really enjoyed this year was Kiln in Soho. So that was the first meal out I had after lockdown. I hadn't been to a restaurant in ages. I hadn't been to a restaurant since they'd brought in masking and sanitizing and contact tracing. And uh, I went with my friend Neil Walker, who works for SEBA, the Society of Independent Brewers. He's also a beer writer and he's written for Pellicles and he's got some articles coming for us in the future. He took me to Kiln, who do regional Thai cuisine cooked mostly over coals. And they have another restaurant, a sister restaurant called Smoking Goat, which is equally amazing. But to sit at the bar in Kiln and have my first meal out in months was, oh, it was, I can't tell you how wonderful it was. And the food, it's very spicy, very intensely aromatic. Particularly, we had this awful, I think it was pork awful lab. So it's a, a regional sort of curry salad. So it's mince with herbs and leaves. And it's just like, it sets your mouth on fire, but it, you want more pain because it's so delicious. And we, we picked through some skewers and some noodles, but the lab really was the, the standout dish for me. And I loved it. And what I also loved about Kiln is they have a short but perfectly formed beer list. So as well as, you know, lager, they also have interesting bottles. So 750 ml bottles of interesting beers, saisons and whatnot. So we had a saison from Yonder Brewing Co. I think it was a chamomile saison. It was perfect with the spicy food. It was more subtle than a wine. Delicious, but it complemented the flavours so well and all the aromatics. And it was quite dry, so it really cleaned up the palate. And it was really nice just to be able to order a beer like that from a very small brewery in, in a high-end, high-ish-end Soho restaurant with some amazing food cooked right in front of us. We were sat opposite the kitchen area, which, which is a bar. And it, it was wonderful. Another place I really enjoyed eating this year, and I've got to mention a pub, is the Pembury Tavern in Hackney. The Pembury Tavern is owned by the Five Points Brewing Company, and it's one of my, my favourite pubs in London, just a short walk from Hackney Central Station. And Rachel Jones runs Ace Pizza from the kitchen there. She used to run a food store called Capiche, which was brilliant, but now she does pizza. And honestly, it's my favourite pizza in London. Um, just amazing... New York style pizza, 48 hour sourdough with some really innovative toppings, everything from the classics to some really out there stuff. She did a haggis pizza right at the start of the year and it was just outstanding. I think it was haggis and caramelized onions, but everything she's been doing has been outstanding. And I think the last pizza I had there, I did get a pizza in before I left London. It was called the Papa Jones. Very, very well named. Just a, just a classic meaty, garlicky pizza. And I think it's the best pizza in London. It's my favourite pizza in London. That's the better way to put it. That, again, when I'm back in town, I'm going straight for a pizza. I'm basically going to go to London after lockdown is over and eat my way around. And then someone's going to have to shovel me on the train home. And I'm, I'll be fine with that. I did eat some food in Manchester. I've got a list of restaurants to try when things get open again in Manchester. And I'm really looking forward to exploring the food scene up here. I don't really know it very well. 
thing is with having Eater, the, the food website, now having a London version of that website, is that it's very easy to log on and see what's out there, what's good, what's new, what's exciting, where should I go. And I haven't really tuned into that wavelength in Manchester yet, but I do know there's a lot of exciting places. But one place that's always been reliable for me is Bundobust. And I mention them not just because I got a couple of meals in there this year, including a couple right before we got locked down again towards the end of this year. And the food's always brilliant. But in 2021, they're opening a second Manchester site. And in that site, they're going to have a brew pub. They're going to brew their own beer. They've been brewing their own beer already at Northern Monk in Leeds, where Bundabus started. But they're going to have their own little brew pub. And that's such an exciting crossover prospect of craft beer and an Indian food. And I'm really excited about visiting that place when it's up and running. So good luck to them in 2021. I'll probably be a regular. And I've got a couple more restaurant picks. My two last meals in London before the move were one day after the other. And the first one was with the brilliant Melissa Cole, who took me to dinner. If you don't know Melissa, she's, she's an exceptional beer writer. If you're listening to this, you've probably heard of her. But if you haven't, she writes brilliant books. Go and check them out. She's, she's a force majeure is the best way I can describe her and, and a very excellent person. And she got me very drunk at Noble Rock, the new Noble Rock which is also in Soho, which used to be a pub called The Gay Hussar, which was a Hungarian-influenced restaurant that was very popular with celebrities and politicians and the like. But it closed down, and Noble Rock, who have an amazing... You might know Noble Rock because they do a brilliant wine magazine, but they also have a restaurant in Bloomsbury, which is kind of like this laid-back French bistro. And what I love about Noble Rock is you can get... You used to be able to get, like, two... A two-course lunch for £16. I think it's £18 now. But the house wines start at like £3 by the glass. You can go and have a nice meal by yourself for 20 25 quid, Or you can go all out. And we went all out on this meal. So we sat upstairs in the new, in the new Noble Rot in Soho and put the world to rights, put away a lot of wine and had some absolutely fantastic dishes. So that was probably my favourite new opening in London in terms of food. Didn't get a lot of beer drunk. I did have a pint of Guinness in the French house afterwards, which Melissa insisted. It's not, not really my scene, but it's like one of those London things you do. It kind of like ticked a box. I'm glad I did it. It's not somewhere I would make a habit of, of going to for a pint, but um, it did give me that sense of like London closure. And then we went to the Harp, which is the best Cascale pub in London, which is near Covent Garden. And I don't really remember leaving, but, you know, I was, I was saying goodbye to a, a, a very good friend in that pub but the day after that was when we went to St John so you've already heard me talk about the that amazing uh, bottle of Cremant which we I don't even know I'm saying that right by the way if you if I'm is it Cremant is it Cremant I don't know like my French is terrible I've, I've messed up my French and my German on this podcast so I'm going to concentrate on the English for the rest of it but this lovely sparkling wine we started the meal and it was amazing and what was interesting is that the meal the day before at Noble Rock was still fresh in my mind and it was amazing. But every mouthful of food at St. John, and this is why it's my favourite restaurant. What I love about St. John is you wake up the next day and you think, oh, that was a lovely meal. But you remember it. It lingers. It feeds the soul as much as it does the body. You know, that, that's a rare thing in a restaurant, which is why I, I sort of hold it above all others and it's why we've got a Fergus Henderson quote on the about page on our site because we have a lot of respect for the way they do things because they just do things the way they've always done them if you if you go back 20 years the menu that changes every day but it's the same food 
And a particular highlight of that meal, apart from the classics like the, the bone marrow and pasty salad, and we always get some some rare bit. But one of the things we ordered, and I can't remember what it was, had just sold out. And they said, we've just put some ox tongue, some roasted ox tongue on the menu. So yeah, we'll have that. We didn't even think, yep, sounds great. We'll, we'll take that instead. And oh my God, each bite was so intensely savory and full of umami. And it was so joyful. I can still taste it. Like it was such a good dish and such a lovely meal. You know, it's a shame that it was under such weird circumstances. But I think going through the wine and food there, as I just did, I think that's a good marker that despite hospitality being closed for five months, nearly half of the year, there was still opportunity to have great experiences. And when I had them, I felt nowhere felt safer than hospitality. Nowhere had gone to such lengths to, to look after customers in terms of masking, social distancing. If you compare that to the high street, it's, it's a different world. It makes me so frustrated that it's being put through the ringer at the moment with restrictions and closures. But they still managed to provide some great experiences at some points in that time. I can't wait till next year when the vaccine is out there in the general population and things open up and people get to go back and feel safe in these places again. Because just because I felt safe doesn't mean everyone felt safe. And I can't wait for people to ease back into these places and hopefully have a newfound respect for hospitality and how they run. So I'm really glad I had those meals. Anyway, I'm going to go and finish this beer. I don't know if I'm going to finish it. I think I've had enough nostalgia. I'm going to have a second beer with you in a moment. Not one that I'll send for free. I'm going to have a beer that I bought with my own money. But now we're just going to have a little break. And by that, I'm going to have a, you're going to have a message from me about supporting us on Patreon. And then I'll be back to talk about cider and what you've all been waiting for, my beers of the year. It's been a challenging year for everyone, and that includes us at Pellicle. Back in March, I honestly didn't know if we'd still be here, but here we are, and we've managed to put out over 100 features and podcast episodes this year. That includes supporting over 70 freelance contributors and paying them all a fair rate. That's all of our writers, photographers, and illustrators that have done amazing work on our website. We've paid out over £20,000 in the last 12 months, which feels like quite an achievement for a, a small independent magazine that's run by two guys in their spare time. We've been able to do this thanks to our sponsor, Hot Burns and Black, and because of our amazing Patreon supporters. We really can't thank you enough for sticking around, for sticking with us through what's been a really tough year. And that includes our pro-tier supporters, the small businesses that have managed to keep their subscriptions going. Thank you so much. I, like, I, uh, I'm gushing here because it means a great deal to us. We generally have about three months worth of money in the bank. And if everything went wrong, that's how long we would keep going for and until all the resources were dried up but thanks to your continued support we've been able to keep going next year we want to keep things going but we want to grow a little bit we'd like to maybe bring on a member of full-time staff we'd like to publish some more ambitious editorial we'd like to do more podcast episodes and we can't do that without your support because we believe in paying everyone a fair rate for their work if you're able to support pellicle then please go to our patreon page at 
patreon.com forward slash mag. You can subscribe from as little as £1 a month. There's various tiers depending on what you can afford. And for some of the upper tiers, there's a few benefits like discount on our merch store and hopefully invites to the events that we might run in the future. Fingers crossed. If you can't afford to pay, that's fine. The beauty of Patreon is that it lets the people who can afford to pay support us and it lets us keep the website free for everyone. It's a pay-as-you-feel system and I really love how it works. But if you are able to pay and support that content, do go to patreon.com forward slash pellicalmag and subscribe. It'll really help us and all of that money will get paid to our contributors to make some of the amazing work you've been reading this year. I'm going to get back on with my beers of the year now and we're going to have another beer. But seriously... And I I say this a lot, but thank you. It's ridiculous that people do give the money they do and let us create this website. And I'm really glad you're getting a kick out of reading it and listening to this podcast because I get a kick out of making it. And I'm amazed, amazed we're still here. Anyway, let's find out what my beers and ciders of 2020 were. got two confessions to make after our little musical break firstly that intro the middle intro it just took me about an hour to record it i did about 20 goes and i've the one you've got that's it this is actually quite challenging i'm really enjoying doing these new types of episodes but it's quite hard my inner monologue goes in lots of different directions and i've got to i've got to wrangle it in and i've had it this is why i don't drink beer when i'm recording because it just sets the mind off in a different direction but here we are and then the other confession i've got to make is um I quite enjoyed the nostalgia in drinking that, that leffer. I finished the bottle and I have another bottle. I probably wouldn't run out to the supermarket and buy it. It's, it's far too sweet for my tastes. But that little Christmas drinky, there it was. But do you know what I should say after that? Fuck AB and Bev. Like, seriously, like, like, listen to the previous episode. They own 30% of the world's beer market. Don't support them. Support the small independent brewers. They really need your help right now. It's a bloody pandemic. So go go to your local bottle shop, log on to your local brewery's website and order some lovely beer. They really, really need your support. And the next beer I've got, I have had it before, but this is a beer I bought with my own money. It was not sent to me for free. And a little bit on that. So my job, my full-time job is writing about beer. It's, it's how I make my living. And it's probably, the way my day looks probably isn't what, you think it might look like it's not sort of a wake up in the morning and like oh what beers shall i drink today no i work really hard to have dry days because there is a lot of beer involved in the job so i make sure i have days without beer and like i said earlier on in the episode i really like to keep my beer as that marker between the end of the work day and the beginning of rest when i have a sip of beer my brain goes into a different state even one sip it sort of triggers the endorphins and it says it's time to sit on the sofa and chill play some Zelda, just enjoy, enjoy your evening. And now I've had one beer, I'm in that, I'm feeling like relaxing, like, oh, I've got to record a bloody podcast. I jest, I'm really enjoying this. Anyway, I get sent a lot of beer, and the free beer, firstly, there's no such thing as free beer. Like, these are, I call them samples. They are sent to elicit a response, which might trigger using these breweries as a source in an article, or writing an article specifically about them or their beer. And, you know, I'm, I'm always aware of that. And as much as I appreciate getting sent stuff, I have to like take a critical mind and say, you know, this is how I feel about it. So when 
that happens, I don't get to enjoy it as much. And so the beer I get from the shop sparks so much more joy. The, the, the whole process of just nipping to the bottle shop and picking up six beers and you, you're in there and the selection's amazing. You're like, oh, I want to try this. At the heart of it all, I am still a, a massive beer enthusiast and I get really excited about beer. So I'm going to get into a beer uh, that I bought recently from Rock Leopard Brewing Co. down in London. Hi, Stacey, if you're listening. And it's a double IPA, a dipper, as they're known these days, called How Are You On Your Good Days? Now, I've had this before and it was a previous batch, so I'm interested to hear what it says. What I discovered in the uh, the previous segment of this podcast, that drinking and... Oh, I've just spilled beer on my keyboard. Hang on. This is recording a podcast and... Drinking beer is impossible. I will never do a drink-along podcast again. I hope you're enjoying this, but I'm literally going to have to stop recording and mop up the beer I've just spilt. Goddamn. Via the magic of the edit, you don't have to deal with me mopping up my keyboard. Six keys on my keyboard, thankfully not any important ones, don't work due to previous beer spillages, mostly during late night zoom calls so hopefully i've not lost any more because i could really do without having to get a new keyboard do you know how much a keyboard for an imac is bloody hell anyway sorry about that we have this lovely beer called how are you on your good days by rock leopard brewery stacy ayer who runs rock leopard is brilliant it's great to see him get a bit more recognition this year because he makes really great beer and this is no exception what i love about this beer and i've had it before is that it's a double ipa but in a more classic style I'm lucky enough to have spent a lot of time in the US and drank a lot of the original dippers in in California and up and down the West Coast and in Colorado where I've spent a lot of time. And this really nails that classic balanced dipper for me. It's citrusy. It's got a little bit of pine. It's got that resinous mouthfeel, that oily hop feel. And then it's got this sort of candy cane sweetness from the malt. I love it when you can get that little bit of malt sort of balancing the bitterness at the end. And there's just a snap of bitterness. So it's not a DDH, blow your socks off, full flavor, full aroma style of beer. It's 8%, but it drinks like 5 or 6%. This is like kind of like an old school dipper. And it reminds me a little bit of, um, I think I had a dipper like this at Society in San Diego a few years ago. It's that sort of modern, traditional West Coast style. That's, that's where I would put it. It's super pale and it's absolutely delicious. People who are really into the double dry hop, really intensely thick, juicy beers, it might not be for them. But if you love a great IPA. Check this out. This is my kind of beer. And actually, this this is better than the first batch. Assuming, I think this is, a, is another batch. So, nice one, Stacey. Thank you for bringing us such a great beer. And before we get on to the beers of the year, and I enjoy the rest of this Rock Leopard, we're going to talk about cider. Now, my plan for 2021 on this podcast is to do a bit of an op-ed on cider. So I'm going to be speaking a little bit on cider like I did on beer in the previous episode. I've got some stuff to get off my chest. So stay tuned for that soon. I've got opinions. I don't sit on the fence. I embrace my opinions. But for now, we're just going to say some nice words about cider and not get in any trouble because I'm definitely going to get in trouble next year. But I think I'm, I'm ready for it. I say that with trepidation. Firstly, I will say that what a year this has been for cider. 
Like, I had so many plans to visit orchards in both spring and at harvest this year that all went out the window. But we managed to publish some amazing cider stories on Pellicle where we've been deliberately profiling as many of the new wave of cider makers as possible to try and raise awareness about them. And there's still so many more to cover. We've come a long way from just talking about Tom Oliver as being the Don. He, Tom Oliver is the Don. But we're now in the situation where we've got a handful of progressive cider producers doing amazing things and they're only just getting started so i'm really excited to see what cider is able to do now it's maneuvered itself into this position something of authority it's really exciting but there is cider has some stuff to work through and we're gonna well i'm gonna work through that in a future podcast episode in a month or so's time but for now let's talk about the good stuff my first cider of the year is from Wilding Cider down in Somerset, and it's their Stoat Red, a single varietal sweet cider, medium, it's a medium cider, and I've had a few bottles of this over the year, and it's just absolutely incredible. I think it was at its best around the time it was released, which I think was in the summer. It had a a crispness to it, and now, as the bottles have aged, there's definitely a more yeasty tang. What also, I also like about the bottles of this is it has like a jellyfish in it. It's just fruit sugar, pectin that's amalgamated, but it looks like a little jellyfish. It's perfectly harmless, but it's definitely picked up a little bit more of a funky edge in time over the bottle, which, and I've got, I've actually just bought another bottle of it. So I'm really interested to see how it's developed. I'm going to share it with some family on Christmas day, the ones I do manage to see, but Wilding Stoke Red, it's a really fantastic apple variety it's got this lovely rounded sweetness it's juicy it's not oppressively tannic it's it's there in the background it's not too acidic it's it's complex but also gives you the ability to switch off and just enjoy it this was originally going to be my number one cider of the year but then i had some other ciders after it and i wrote down all the stuff that i'd really enjoyed this year and i realized In the moment I had it, it was one of those lovely lockdown moments where it was just something that brought great joy to me. But it's actually actually been knocked off the post. Not by the next one, but the next up on my ciders of the year is an amazing cider from Little Pomona. Little Pomona, what a year they have had. This is one of the most exciting small cider makers. And I say small because they're certainly putting a little bit more scale in than a few other producers. And they've got their tasting room that I can't wait to visit. James and Susanna Forbes, who are behind it, are just the most brilliant people and determined to raise the profile of cider. And they've released so many different ciders this year. It's been hard to keep up, honestly. But the one that stood out for me was their Brut Cremant. Oh, no, there, there's that word again. Ugh. Uh, Cremant, Cremant. Uh, I said I wouldn't go here. I've, I've absolutely, I've nutmegged myself. <laughs> Bonjour, Little Pomona Brut Cremant. I'm drinking a double IPA. Can you tell? I've, I've, I've lightened up a little bit. This champagne style or sparkling French sparkling wine style cider that I drank back in February is outstanding in its complex acidity. It uses the Foxwelp apple variety foxwelp is brilliant because it is so acidic it makes flavors like lambic or gers it's just outstanding and some people can't stand it but it was used to astounding effect in this cider to bring forward this tannic structured acidity that made it taste like french sparkling white wine it really was sensational and it was quite expensive 
it wasn't a snip, but worth every penny. Little Pomona are really, the way they present themselves, the way they talk, they're really going to put themselves in a lot of spaces like restaurants and, and high-end bars where they change the conversation about cider. Not just them, lots of other producers. I love what they're doing and I love that they, they do things their own way. So all power to James and Susanna. You're doing brilliant stuff. And that Brute Cremant was my real highlight. The next cider of the year is been a real go-to for me this year. It's called Nightbird. And it's a medium cider from Nightingale Cider down in Kent. It's a cider in a can. One of the things in the, the cider conversation is that people keep saying cider is wine. There's even a Twitter account that says cider is wine. And I vehemently disagree with it because cider is cider. And cider really needs to stand on its own two feet and be cider and accept that some people just want to drink pints of cider, 5% sparkling cider, and that's fine. You can still have wine bottle-sized pours of delicious, complex, still and sparkling ciders. But you can also have a delicious can of cider for throwing back. And this from Nightingale's Nightbird is perfect because it has just a little bit of funk and complexity just in the background over a nice medium, easy drinking cider. What I've learned this year is that I like dry beer. I don't like things too sweet. I don't have a sweet palate. But when it comes to cider, I don't like things to be too dry. I love dry cider with food, but less so on its own. I feel like when you're just sipping a cider on its own, medium ciders just have a bit more heft and a bit more complexity and that sort of sippability. And sometimes I don't want to open a big bottle. I just want a can out the fridge to throw back. So this from Nightingale's Nightbird was just outstanding. And I think they're one of the best producers in the country and they deserve, they're not in the sort of three counties sort of cider hype region. They're in Kent and cider is different in Kent because they use eating apple varieties rather than cider apple varieties. So you get generally lighter, less complex ciders. But what Nightingale's are doing is is really great and I wanted to visit them this year and it didn't happen because of lockdown and moving to the other side of the country. I, I promise to you guys, if you're listening, I am definitely going to try and visit next year. Fingers crossed. But then it comes to my, my favourite cider of the year, which was a really... I arrived at this realising that this producer has just blown me away with everything I've tried from them this year. And I think it's to do with personal preference. And it's not Tom Oliver, though I think Tom Oliver is doing amazing things and I love his cider. It's Pilton. Pilton cider have absolutely blown me away with every bottle I've drank this year. I didn't even... Keeving. There's a wonderful article we published about Pilton cider on the Pellicle website this year by Madeline Herbert. It was pitched to us as a guide to what keeving is and it became framed through Pilton who used this northern French process, which in the most basic terms, it involves starving fermenting apple juice, starving the yeast of nutrients so that not all of the sugars are fermented into alcohol. So you get a sweeter cider. You also get a complex, full-bodied, rounded cider. And I realized these are my kind of ciders. And two from Pilton, Max Lux and Tam O'Shanta, really stood out for me this year as just outstanding ciders and like not just in flavor but in terms of the color and the aroma the texture just really exquisite stuff seriously amazing they've been around for a little while Pilton and they're quite easy to get hold of so do check them out if you can 
And that's just a couple of examples. This was probably the hardest category to choose one in. The cider is at this absolute flashpoint at the moment. It's a bit like craft beer in 2012, 2013. You know, there's even a bit of beef happening, which I'm going to get into in the next next cider episode of this podcast. But overall, the positivity and outstanding products that are coming from the UK cider producers now, it's so exciting. And note, if, if you're into drinks and fermented beverages, you've no doubt seen the excitement building. So if you've not had a chance to check out some of the amazing cider producers in the UK, now is the time. Speaking of now is the time, I'm going to have a sip of this lovely beer from Rock Leopard. And then I've got a very long list of my beers of the year. So I've had to be relatively ruthless with my beers of the year list because sitting at home with lockdown, I've had the chance to work through a lot of cans, especially from breweries that plan to be mostly in draft this year. When I actually looked at all the beers I drank and enjoyed this year, and the list was massive. So there's a few breweries that I'm not going to read their name out, and I'm, and I'm sorry, you've made amazing beer. But I've decided to have a definitive list of my favourites, not the best, my personal favourites. I think that's really important to say. I think what I've had is some amazing beers this year. What I've not had is amazing beers and very many amazing beers in, in pints. But I have enjoyed working through my cans at home. My first beer of the year, however, is is a cask beer. I was at this really weird point in July, August, where the pubs had reopened and I didn't feel safe going to them. And I'd just been to Manchester to look at this house that I'm now inside, I live in, and I was in the Northern Quarter and I walked past Port Street Beer House. I saw people sitting and drinking pints and I was, they had a table outside and I was with my partner, Diane, and I just said, do you fancy a pint? We've got 20 minutes. She's like, sure, yeah, let's sit down. And the first five minutes of that 20 minutes were really frustrating because I had a poor mobile signal. I had to download an app to order the beer. I had to do my track and trace. It was all new to me. I hadn't been to the pub in ages. I felt really anxious because I was in a pub. But I got there and they just put on a cask of Mallinson's Nelson Sobin. Mallinson's are a great brewery in Huddersfield who make amazing, super hoppy, super bitter, super pale cask beers generally. This was a single hopped Nelson Sovan. So hot from New Zealand, which got lots of lovely white grape and gooseberry flavours in a very simple pale beer on cask. And it was my second pint of cask beer after lockdown. And my first one, which was a a few weeks before, was a disaster. It probably contributed to me not being comfortable in pubs, if I'm being honest. But this was just served perfectly, pin bright with a big foamy head and it was just sat there and it was under a blue sky outside Port Street Beer House. It's just such a wonderful memory and the beer was reminding me of the brilliance of cask beer. In fact, it's made me miss cask so much and even in these four weeks of lockdown and tier three, it's, you know, it was just such a wonderful thing. It's not the kind of beer that would normally get in my beers of the year because it's kind of like an everyday beer it's a beer i would go and drink three pints of and like oh yeah i had this last night it was delicious but it really signified a wonderful pub moment for me so malinson's thank you for making such amazing cast beer port street beer house thank you for serving and cellaring your beer so well 
you made me very happy. My second beer of the year. And I will say, you might have heard me, I was on another podcast called Beer Prime with Paul Newton. If you've listened to that, you've already heard these, but I'm going to try and go into a bit more detail and tell you why they made my shortlist. Because it's not, my beers of the year isn't just about how they taste. That's very important, but it's also tied to the experience of them. Drinking beer is, is a joyous act. That is all tied into, you know, go, go back to the, the sparkling white wine. I'm not even going to try and say it now. That was more, that was less about the wine and more about the moment. But this beer, Burning Skies Amis de Brassage, I could go on record about all of their big bottles. This is the best one they've done this year. No question. Amis de Brassage is a, a beer-wine hybrid, I think. I think it's, um, it's a Saison on Pinot Noir. Don't quote me on that because I don't have the label to hand. It's brewed in collaboration with Kelly Ryan, who is the brewer at Fork Brewing in Wellington, New Zealand, who is amazing. And I visited them a few years ago uh, when I was in Wellington, and they make amazing beers. But Mark Tranter and the gang at Bernie Sky, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of theirs. And uh, I probably drank more of their beer at home in lockdown than anyone else. But on my birthday, we opened a bottle of this Amis de Brassage, and it was at that point where we'd had too much to drink. We'd had several beers, we'd had a bottle of wine, but our spirits were up and we wanted to keep going. And so I had this in the fridge and it was just like, oh yeah, let's just drink this. And oh my God, it was just delicious. It had that lovely acidic, juicy tang from the Pinot with the funk of the Saison. So well balanced, so rounded. Honestly, Burning Sky Saison rank up there with the likes of Hill Farmstead for me. No question, genuinely. They're world-class, and this is the pinnacle of that art of, of fermentation, maturation, and blending. So well done to Mark and the gang. I had to have one of your beers in my beers of the year this year, and Amis de Brassage is the one that did it. And I had to speak in French again. Next year, I'm going to pick exclusively beers, wines, and ciders that don't involve me speaking a foreign language because it's a terrible idea when I can't pronounce it on the podcast. Anyway, the next beer, I try, I've drank so much lager this year, like... When you want to switch the brain off and just enjoy a beer to relax, a nice lager, Helles, Pilsner, that's what I want to drink. And one of my favourites, I've got two lagers in this list, but Dea in Cheltenham did a, a dry hop pills called Italian Pills. It's their tappy pills, the house lager they do for their tap room, but with a dry hop. And it's modelled after a famous Italian beer, Birificio Italiano Tipo Pills. And it's called Italian Pills. And it was just amazing. And I had half a case of this in the summer. It was just exceptional. What the, the dry hopping gave it was slightly floral, kind of like an oily mouthfeel, a bit fuller, fuller mouthfeel, but just dry, crisp and refreshing. What I call this beer is fun. I love a lager because it's a simple, uncomplicated drink that tastes delicious. But this added a little bit of fun to it. And I, I do like a hoppy lager. Dea Italian Pills. That was that was an absolute delight. I hope they they only made a small batch of it in the summer. I would like to see more, please. So we're working towards sort of top beers now. And the two styles of beer that stood out for me this year were West Coast IPA and Lager. I drank more of these styles than anything else. And Lager has been up and coming in British craft for a few years now, and it's really hit this high note. You know, if you think about people like Lost and Grounded, and you've got Utopian now, and more people than I can mention, there really are so many amazing options for craft lager. So I drank a lot of them, but also to see breweries re-embrace West Coast IPA, 
American IPA is my favorite style. Malty, citrusy, bitter. That is the pinnacle of me. About 7%. So you've got that nice weight of alcohol to carry the flavors and the actual flavor of malt to boy the hops so you get a balanced beer and quite i like bitter beer i like a bitter beer not too bitter i want that balance but i do like to be able to taste that resinous bitter hop flavor as it trails off speaking of trails off oregon trail from elusive brewery andy parker down in finchhamstead he has done such an amazing job with this beer. Now, I've known Andy since he was a home brewer, and he used to go out to the west coast of California, and he used to always wear this green flash shirt. And his favourite breweries, I think, were Green Flash and Alpine. In this beer, this clear, copper-coloured, beautiful west coast IPA, Andy has made a beer as good as anything that ever inspired him. It literally teleported me to the west coast. Absolutely outstanding. For someone who has spent so much time researching this style to produce this on a small five-barrel kit here in the UK, absolutely blew me away. And I think this beer, a lot of people who like West Coast IPAs who who have who talk about beer will have picked this particular beer as one of their beers of the year. And that's by no coincidence. It really is outstanding. Congrats to Andy and Elusive for making something so wonderful. I think that's a beer we will see a lot more of in the future. I get a bit of joy now when I pour a beer and it's nice and clear. I do like crystal clear, bitter and citrusy IPA. Did I mention that? I think I did. Another wonderful beer. My favourite lager this year was from a brew pub in Prague called Vinohradsky and their 12 degree Pilsner. I reviewed this beer. I have a column for Hot Burns and Black where I review a couple of beers a month for their subscription box. And I, this was one of the beers I was sent to review. Czech Pilsner is my favourite sort of lager. I absolutely absolutely love it one of the last places i visited towards the end of 2019 was the czech republic and prague and one of my favorite things in the world is fresh czech pilsner on tap it's incredible and what's amazing about this from vinohradsky is how it pours from the can like it's a draft beer with the tight they call it a wet foam because the bubbles are locked in close together it's almost like a flat white coffee like the bubbles are so they they form <laughs> a substance of their own and add to the flavor and aroma and to be able to do that to pour it from a can and have that experience at home and have that lovely the sweetness of decoction mashing and the absolute like precision razor sharp sars hop flavor balancing that multi-body out what a fantastic lager i can't like I've said this on the Beer Prime podcast but when lockdown is over and we can travel I'm literally just going to go to Prague for a weekend I'm just going to buy a ticket and I'm going to go and drink. I'm going to get off the plane and go straight to a bar and drink some Pilsner. And then I'm going to go to all these little brew pubs like Vinohradsky, like Devaka Huti. There's so many of them. And just eat pork knuckle and drink fresh pills. I can't wait for it. And I can't wait to drink this on tap. But to have that in can and have that experience, it was wonderful. I didn't drink enough of it this year, honestly. And if you've not, you know, next time there's a shipment of it in the UK, don't miss out on it. It's absolutely wonderful stuff. So we've got two beers left in the beers of the year. First, I really want to give a shout out to Red Willow Brewery for for many reasons. I visited them in March and I was so blown away by the camaraderie and the attitude and the people. They're just a wonderful bunch and they're making amazing beer. And I I knew they were making amazing beer because back in 2012, 2013, when I was starting out as a, a beer writer, their beer was quite readily available in London and I drank it a lot because it was great. 
And then I didn't really see it anymore. And they kind of like disappeared from my consciousness because they weren't in, I had no perception of them because they were based in, in Cheshire and the Northwest. And this year I've re-embraced them because everything they make from their lagers to their dark beers to their IPAs are incredible. They're my favorite brewery of the year, no doubt, because everything they do is, is wonderful. That combined with them being lovely people makes it really easy to want to, to nominate them as one of my beers and brewers of the year. And my favorite beer that they've done this year is Ageless. Surprise, surprise, they're stronger West Coast IPA. They do a couple of West Coast IPAs, Shameless and Ageless, but Ageless, it's, it's on the hazier side. It's on the more sort of resinous, juicy side, but it's definitely not a, a New England style beer. It's old school. It's so impeccably flavorsome and balanced. But my, my beer of the year is from Cloudwater Brewery. And I've been so impressed with Cloudwater because of the approach they've taken to how they run their business. And they get a lot of shit for sticking their neck out, especially Paul Jones, the owner. But they, they have so much conviction in what they do. And especially projects like the Wayfinder Project, which is just getting warmed up. Lily Waite, their first Wayfinder. Essentially, Cloudwater are giving resource so she can start her brewery and make it reality. And the next... Wayfinder will be Birim Collective, an amazing magazine run by Helen Ann Smith down in Cardiff. Cloudwater will give them a platform to create an amazing publication. I don't doubt it, and I can't wait to see what happens. I've just got mad respect for the way they go about their business. I know they've ruffled a few feathers because they do things their own way, but I think that's what, you know, you stick your neck out, and that's what you get. When it comes down to it, their beer has been outstanding this year and they've produced a lot of beers I haven't liked at all. Like, I don't know what the tipper craze is. I don't like, you seem to like a lot of hot, claggy, uh, not saying that Cloudwater's tippers are hot and claggy, but I've had a few of these tippers this year that people have gone mad for. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm getting too old. Maybe, maybe I'm out of touch. No, it's the children who are wrong. But the best beer that Cloudwater produced this year was my beer of the year. Um, and it's crystallography. They're, DDH West Coast Double IPA and it was based on I know it was based on a beer produced by Russian River called Pliny for President and it was better thanks to Paul he had brought some of this beer into the country I tried Pliny for President and I was so happy to drink it because Russian River are one of the greatest breweries of all time but crystallography was so good if I'd been given an unlabeled can and told oh this is just coming from Brewery X in there isn't a brewery called Brewery X. I'm just using that as an example. In California, and I drank it, I would have said, yeah, is, is this from Russian River? It, it's that good. This isn't hyperbole. It's right at the center of my wheelhouse. To drink a beer that ticks my boxes that way this year, in this COVID year, was such a joy. And they've just released a second batch, and I've got some more cans. And I can't wait, can't wait to enjoy them. Why is it so delicious? It's... For starters, it's an 8% beer and it's perfectly balanced. So you get a lovely ta- light taste of sweetly toasted sort of Graham cracker, Graham cracker. Would I say golden Grahams? Sort of cereally malt. It's nice. It's just like honey sweet. It's delicious. And then you get this rush of intensely lemon zesty, grapefruity, navel orangey, candied orange, marmalade, citrus fruit with a little bit of that pine resin quality that dankness that i really like and then that just goes on in this like long bitter finish it's not cloying it's dry 
and the flavors keep going and it just says take another sip and these beers are very dangerous they're eight percent but they just drink so damn easily they're the kind of beers that when i visited the us and i go to a brew pub at lunchtime i'm like yeah i'm, I, I'm going straight for the dipper and uh, they get you in a lot of trouble you, you, you fall asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon and miss out on visiting other breweries and i say that from experience but crystallography cloud water that is my beer of the year feel free to disagree slide into my tweets at total curtis tell me i'm wrong or nod in silent agreement either way that beer is available right now so you could try it and uh, decide for yourself so that, that's my beers wine ciders and food of the year that was really fun to do because it has been a really challenging year and especially at the moment as i said right at the start of this episode to see people kind of go at each other because they live in different parts of the country and our experiences are different and that is true but i want to finish this episode kind of looking back at beer in the uk in 2020 and one brewer said to me that with the pubs closing down and the curfew and the threat of taxes being raised for small brewers that that's it craft beer in the uk is is over someone actually said this to me to which i reply no absolutely isn't it's been a difficult year but there's so many positives that can be taken from a year i mean to see a new brewery like duration which might seem like it's been around for a few years but they've only started brewing in november 2019 to see beak brewery in lewis or new barns up in edinburgh and i will say new barns the head brewer is my co-founder at pellicle johnny hamilton full disclosure but they they launched a brewery in a covid year they couldn't get the gas plumbed in because of lockdown so they had to go and contract brew at their friend's brewery to get their first beers out there have you tasted their beers they're, they're wonderful you know i i say that with an intense bias but you can make your mind up for yourself but to see think you know that's three examples to see people adapt to see people who mostly do cask or or keg beer and switch to to can to see so much great canned beer to come out onto the market to people are are pulling together to see people like the society of independent brewers do everything they can to support their smallest and most vulnerable members i can take a lot of positives from the spirit of this year and from that list there's been so much great things to eat and drink especially the beer beer is my passion and i'm feeling immensely optimistic for 2021 and i say that sincerely i i'm really hopeful for a really great year i can't wait to see you back at the pub i can't wait to to chat to you at the, at the beer festivals that will start popping up once things slide back to to normality once the vaccination is uh, in the general population i think we're going to be fine i think things are always going to be things are always going to be challenging and we should sit with those challenges and work through them but at the end of the day we've always got great beer in our glass and drinking beer is a joyful act and i'm going to finish this can of rock leopard dipper and i'm going to enjoy every last sip thank you so much for tuning in I hope you've enjoyed. This is my first stab at doing a Beers of the Year episode, so I hope you enjoyed that. And Merry Christmas to all of you and your family, and I uh, hope you tune in again in the new year. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye.